episode of Silicon Zombies. Pretty darn cool. Where you get the best brains from the Bay to beyond. We love solving big problems in new ways, and that's what we're going to do today. So before we get started and kick things off, I want to do a couple quick shout-outs. Thank you so much for the Park James, this gorgeous location. Make sure to check this out. And also, we've got Primero Negocios. So if you are looking to find local customers, they will help you get there. Uh, they do awesome marketing for us as well. Um, and then we've got Nicodex. So digital products, they're your team. They've done excellent work for Bizenta, for Side Pocket, and we'll have all of these in the show notes below. But so jazzed to be here. Who wants you kick us off? All right, thank you, Nick. Um, well, we've got three, we've got two incredible mayors and one incredible mayoral candidate. Uh, welcome, Jen, Melissa, and Asha. Um, I think the best way to start is to, uh, if each of you could give us one minute on your career, how you ended up in politics, how you ended up doing what you're doing. And Jen, since we are in Menlo Park, since we are in your city, perhaps you can start us off. Thank you, Human, for the kind invitation to come to the Park James Hotel. Um, good evening, everyone. I'm Jen Wallison, the mayor of Menlo Park. Welcome to our beautiful city. Um, it is so wonderful to have this event um, in our fabulous uh, downtown area. Um, so to answer who wants question, how did I get here? I wonder that all the time. I actually biked here. Um, but I think the larger question was, how did I get here? Um, so I did not have any political aspirations outside of my high school leadership uh, foray until I was in my 40s. And I was a mom annoyed that my kids um, weren't able to walk and bike to the school that was pretty much just down the street from our house. So for a couple years, um, I just gave up and carpooled with the minivan and um, but every day I would drive down that street that I wanted to have my kids walk and bike on and I would shake my fist and say somebody should do something about this um, and ultimately I got so frustrated that I shot off my very first but for a couple years um, I just gave up and carpooled with the minivan and um, but every day I would drive down that street that I wanted to Inception It's all planned by the way how are we hearing ourselves twice? Are we going back in time? All right. What no, we're, we're in the future right now. Are All right. Oh, okay, I'll just keep going. And... <laughs> um, so I don't know if this is a Spider-Verse or whatever, but um, I'll keep going. Um, so I sent off that very first annoyed email. Didn't know if I should send it to the Menlo Park folks or the Atherton folks or the county folks, the fire, the police, the school. Didn't know if I should send it to elected officials or to staff members and just sent it to everybody. And I think like two or three people replied, had coffee with them and then fast forward about six or seven years plus attending every city council meeting every complete streets meeting um, getting on myself on the transportation master plan oversight commission starting an advocacy group called parents for safe routes and deciding that after many years of going to the podium and begging my city council to do what i thought they should do that i should just 
get myself on the dais and start making these decisions myself. So that's why I ran. Um, so my core issue has always been safe streets, making sure that people of all ages and abilities can get around safely. Um, and then that has really brought in my reach to climate action and housing for people at all income levels, because all of these issues, as I'm sure we'll discuss tonight, are incredibly interconnected. Um, so I'm thrilled to be here, um, and I'm looking forward to hearing from my esteemed colleagues on the panel. That's Thank you. That's a great you. story. Thank you. Yes. All right. <laughs> Melissa, you're next. The mayor of Sausalito is with us. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And my name is Melissa Blaustein. I'm the mayor of the most beautiful city in the state of California, if not the world. Uh, Sausalito, if you haven't yet been, please come and visit us. Uh, it's quite lovely, and we're very lucky to have a beautiful seaside community. So how did I get here? Well, I grew up my whole career. I've always worked in impact and wanted to do things to give back. I volunteered a lot. I grew up in the community that I'm now serving, which is really fantastic. Went to the public schools there. Uh, and I worked for Gabby Giffords on her last congressional campaign. I worked for President Obama. I worked at the UN. I worked for the G20. And I just kind of always thought I would work behind the scenes because I was very happy with working on evolving policy and supporting people who inspired me in the political space to do what they do well. I was really lucky to work for Gavin Newsom when he was mayor. And I really enjoyed being behind the scenes, not in front of them. Uh, and then in 2016, things really changed for me because I think regardless of where you stand on the political spectrum, it was a very difficult time for us as a country to see how polarized we are at the national level. And that's when I realized at the local level, you can absolutely have a real impact and shape the way your community looks every day. So there was an open set, uh, congressional council member seat in 2017. I ran and I lost, which was a great experience. And I definitely recommend failure as a path towards success. We're in Silicon Valley, so you should all know about that. Um, and uh, then I got on every board and commission there was. So Sustainability Commission, General Plan Advisory Committee, Rotary Board, Rotary Housing Board, Special Committee on Housing. And then when I ran in 2020, people in the community knew who I was and what I believed in. So I've been on the council since 2020, and I've been mayor since January, and it's been a, a real honor to, to serve my community. Asha, tell us your story. All right. Well, I was thinking about it when these two accomplished women were speaking, so I wanted to see where would be the best place to begin. But it really, how I ended up right here in this area was the first day of graduate school. Uh, I went to MIT, and we were in breakout groups, and we were talking about trying to be smart. You know, I went to school for city planning. We're talking about all the things, events that happened in our life, and they asked it to say 10. And so by the time you get to like seven or eight, you're like, mm, I'm kind of running out of really smart things to say. So I start talking about Super Bowls and who's winning and who's not winning. And so all, all of a sudden, I was like, this is my favorite team. And over, the, over my shoulder, I hear, you like the Patriots? And I was like, well, of course, we're in Boston, right? And, and I said, well, why? Who do you like? And she says, I like the Niners. And I said, oh, well, what's your name? And I'm thinking to myself, oh, another girl from San Francisco that's going to get on my nerves. <laughs> And sure enough, I ended up marrying her. And she became a part of the prenuptial agreement was, we are rooting for the Niners in this household. You can appreciate that, Greg Papa. So, so I ended up here in this spot because of her, that woman, um, my wife. Um, we have two kids. We live in the Excelsior, uh, raising our family there, a very family-oriented part of San Francisco. 
I had the great fortune of working. My first job in the administration I worked for was Mayor Willie Brown. And he used to spend one Saturday a month, and I used to spend one Saturday a month with him, opening up City Hall to the first 10 people that would sign up for any issue, and they would get 10 minutes with Willie Brown. They could talk about anything. It could be a CEO. It could be a startup. It could be a desk clerk. It could be someone living in public housing. Whatever the issue were, was, they got 10 minutes with Willie Brown, and I was right there next to him. And he would have his phone on the table, and every department head in the city knew, you better answer your phone when Willie Brown calls. And if you didn't, you better be ready to turn in your resignation letter on Monday morning. So I learned how to be and what it means to administer and be the CEO of a, of a major city for Mayor Brown. I went on to work for Gavin Newsom and his administration for a few years, was a deputy department head for community development, worked in public works, was out there on the streets, cleaning the streets. And then uh, I ran for office. I came up short. And as I, became, as I came up short, I started my own small business, working with small businesses, working with nonprofits and startups and people building and organized labor. And after that, I ran again, and I won. At that point, uh, I've been on the board for the last seven years working on a whole host of issues in San Francisco that we'll get into tonight. But that's how I ended up right here. That's beautiful. Um, Thank you. So normally, uh, Nick and I go for 40 minutes, 45 minutes asking questions, but uh, we're not going to do that today. We're only going to ask just a hand, less than two questions to these, and then we're going to open up to you. Because there's so many questions you might have that either we're nervous to ask or uh, we haven't thought of asking. So, Jen, we're going to start with you. Uh, and this same question is going to be from Melissa. What's, uh, what's the hardest challenge of Menlo Park? Whew, what's the hardest challenge of Menlo Park? Um, so we are such an engaged community. We're right next to Stanford. Um, so many people here care so deeply about their city. Um, a lot of people have invested so much into the city, whether it's through their home or their dreams and their children's education. Um, but we're kind of at a transitionary period here in Menlo Park, and I really think throughout California as a whole. Um, the cost of housing is astronomical, and people really can't afford to live here. Um, and so what we have are people who need to work in our community. We have one of the largest tech companies in the world headquartered here in Menlo Park. Um, you might have heard of it. It's called Meta. Um, and so we have a, a world-class institution, and we have people who are commuting um, two, three hours a day um, to work in our city hall, to work in our stores. Um, and so I really think that um, that problem of housing supply and of making sure that the people we need to um, teach our kids, to keep our community safe, to those all those um, frontline workers that we called essential during the pandemic, that they are able to uh, live a high quality of life and they don't have to become these super commuters, which then contribute um, greenhouse gases to the atmosphere, worsen our climate crisis. Um, and contribute to our local community a lot of traffic. And so really um, tackling all these issues in a holistic manner and really having a vision for our city and what we're working towards. So for me, I don't know if I see it as like what's the hardest thing, but to me it's one of the most exciting things is thinking about how to bring 
um, our community, which a lot of people are very comfortable with how things have been here, but how to lead our community into the future in a way um, that is beautiful, in a way where people feel heard, they feel a sense of belonging, and they feel like this is a place that their children can ultimately move back to. We have a lot of um, college-age kids who don't even dream of living near their parents. Um, but making that change from what we are today to what we kind of need to be tomorrow um, is very painful for a lot of people. And so um, coming to folks with empathy, um, with an open heart, one of the things I really work on is um, education and accessibility. I make videos for my constituents and for residents of the city explaining to them things like what's a housing element, what's the builder's remedy, all these state requirements, how do you read a budget, what is the interconnection between housing, climate, transportation, all these issues. Because a lot of folks only join the conversation when it affects their own home that second they're feeling threatened. And if our larger community can feel part of the conversation earlier on, we can all feel like we're working towards something. So I, um, I believe that our greatest challenge is also our greatest opportunity to make our community so vibrant, walkable, livable, sustainable, and I'm excited about that. Great. Melissa? Well, I just want to echo, first of all, what you said about housing, because I am a firm believer in that the folks that are serving our community have every right to live in our community. And that means our teachers, that means our first responders. Uh, and I also think housing is the key to the way our communities thrive and the type of equity and diversity that we welcome into our communities, because the way that communities like Sausalito, which is 92% white and a very high socioeconomic status of a community, it was built that way based on urban planning decisions that were made, you know, decades ago, but are still having lasting impacts on, on what our built environment looks like. And so housing is a real challenge. And I would like to see us use housing as a path forward to provide for more opportunity to be a more welcoming and diverse community in general. But my biggest issue right now is not particularly sexy, but very important for all of our residents. And that's that we have a structural deficit. And it's not sexy or exciting to talk about back to basics, but it's a really important tactic in good governance to make sure that people are just getting the services that they need. So we have potholes like everybody else, um, and we've got roads that desperately need improving, and we have city buildings that need to be kept up. And that's not necessarily exciting to talk about. But what's exciting to vision about is how do you solve those problems using the technology and opportunities that we have available to us here in the Bay Area and in Silicon Valley? We can develop and build smart cities that will do things like tell you when there's going to be a pothole before it happens so that you can make those improvements ahead of time. Or sensors that can mitigate for sea level rise so we know when the tide will be highest and what, what sort of prevention mechanisms we can put into place. So I like to think about this challenge of balancing our budget and with a back-to-basics approach, but using the technology we have available to vision on that. So we have this challenge of the structural deficit, but as Jen said, there's so much opportunity in challenge, right? You have to use every crisis that you have. We don't have a meta in our town, unfortunately, although we do have one small office outpost of meta that is responsible for a lot of our taxes, so thank you very much, Jen and Menlo Park. Truly appreciate it. Um, but we but we have so much that we can build on. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing what you know the next generation of Sausalito looks like while we provide basic resources and do more to create a bigger, better vision as well. Okay, thank you, Melissa. Very well put. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Asha, same question. Well, no, no, hold on. Oh, I guess, I guess we're gonna we're not gonna let uh, Asha doesn't get a softball like me and Jen. Is that what you're saying? Not at all. Because all of us uh, know what San Francisco was, 
pre-pandemic, and we see what it is today. And, uh, you know, you're running for mayor. And in, in your opinion, if you, have, if you were to ask me, I, I have a very clear answer on this. What's the biggest problem with San Francisco right now? I think it's uh, a multi-response, uh, multi-prong response. But I think the biggest thing right now in San Francisco is the brazen crime that's happening and the extreme levels of homelessness that we have. San Francisco is one of the wealthiest cities in the entire planet. We have a $14.3 billion budget. So it's not about resources. It's truly about leadership. And we are lacking leadership in the city right now without a vision. I could tell you, like, you know, people walking into stores, walking out without, you know, with impunity. We need to deal with that. We've been working on organized retail theft, and that has been one of my highest priorities for the last three years. But 90% of the power in San Francisco rests with the mayor. We have a strong mayor city. The charter is written that way. The mayor can hire the police chief, fire the police chief, directs the budget, directs policy, directs the departments. Even when the board allocates money for items, like we did recently, because clean streets are also a big part of that, we put $25 million aside. The mayor took nine of it and reallocated it to something else. That is the power of the mayor's office. So when you have $14.3 billion, you have a city that's being torn apart with retail theft, you have an extreme homelessness, and you have the resources, it truly comes back to leadership. So we're at a severe crossroads in San Francisco. It's time to have a new vision for the city. I announced yesterday we want to do something that hasn't been done in San Francisco before. We want to create a special use district for our downtown core. We have 30 million square feet of office space. Many of our tech companies left and, and, and relocated <laughs> and, and contracted their campuses, which is fine, right? That's the economy, and that's the nature of where we're working right now. We have to address that head on. But we have to attract new uses. And one of the things Phoenix did 15 years ago is they put out a vision for, they created a special opportunity for Arizona State, University of Arizona, and they expanded university footprints. Every major city in the world has an urban campus. Think New York City, London, Chicago, Boston, New York, everywhere, everywhere in the world has major urban campuses. That's a wonderful way to diversify our economic uses and reimagine San Francisco. But we have to deal with the crime. People have to feel safe to come into the office, and we're going to do that. We're going to put something forward that talks about getting officers back on the streets and present in the community. You don't see that often. And we're going to really take the resources and coordinate them on our homelessness crisis. We have a th I just want to end with this. I'll be real fast. We have 1,000 units of supportive housing sitting vacant right now. We have hundreds of shelter beds sitting vacant right now. We have hundreds of affordable housing units. And it all comes back to coordination, leadership, and directing the departments to do the job that they need to do. Houston was in the same place 10 years ago. They got philanthropy. They got business, nonprofit, government, everyone on board. And guess what? They cut their homeless population by 50% in less than 10 years. San Francisco has the resources. It has the ingenuity. It just doesn't have the leadership. So what is it ex exactly? Like, do you think that the leadership doesn't care? Or what's the problem behind that? 
I mean, it's it, again, it's it, it's multifaceted. I don't think that the mayor has asserted herself enough on the issue. When you have a thousand units, I'll give you a story. I'm on the budget committee. I'm the vice chair. They came last fall. There's a navigation center, which is a longer term spot for homeless people uh, to stay with all their belongings, their dogs. They, they can come in with their partner. It's a new model that San Francisco created that's term, that's been deemed to be very, very successful. So one of the nonprofits was coming in to renew their contract. So we said, great. It's been working well. Wonderful. What's your capacity? 190 beds. Wonderful. Um, what's your daily census? 110. And I said, mm, well, what's the delta? Why are you missing eight? Why are you not at full capacity? Well, supervisor, we have a, an issue with supply chain. We, we can't get 80 mattresses right now. I promise you, I literally stood up and I said, I will call Mancini Sleep World right now. You will have 80 beds by Friday. Mayor Willie Brown, that person would, I don't know if they would have been fired, probably would have been, but they definitely would have been transferred. They walked into a committee asking for a multi-million dollar contract renewal and told us that they couldn't get 80 mattresses while people are dying on the streets. I can't give you the answer why the mayor's not doing her job, but I can tell you right now, when I become mayor, those beds will be filled. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we're going we're gonna to do one more round of questions here, and then we're going to open it up to everybody. So, uh, Jen, when you and I were speaking about this uh, event, um, one of the things we talked about is how divided we are as a country and how national politics uh, and local politics and, like, do you have any thoughts on how to bring us together, what we can do, how we can not hate... Oh, I can totally solve the polarization in America. (laughs) I got this. (laughs) Um, Well, it was was, um, really interesting hearing Melissa talk about 2016 and kind of what drove her to local politics. And I had a similar awakening where... We all feel in a lot of ways hopeless, I think, and kind of throwing up our hands and like, this is an intractable situation. What can I do? And so I think that going through um, this period and then especially through the pandemic and just everything that we've been through the last, I don't know, five or so, 10 years, um, people are undergoing like a collective trauma and anxiety. Like I've noticed that residents aren't always at their best. I'm not always at my best. My kids will tell you that. My husband will definitely tell you that. Um, And so I think that we all just need to acknowledge that we are all coming out of a period where the tension is so high, where we are not giving each other a lot of good grace and and room. Um, I recently, I have two solutions, you know, to solve the world's problems. Um, One is I had the opportunity this summer to go on a six-day river rafting trip in Idaho with my family. Um, Totally off the grid, no cell service, um, camping. Now, a company did all the setup and stuff. Um, But on this trip were mostly folks um, from Texas, Alaska, Idaho, Montana. These were red staters. 
rivers. And we were on the river for six days, and there is no escape. There's no roads. The only way you're getting out of there is by rafting down the river or a helicopter basically coming to rescue you. And you're having lunch, dinner, breakfast, doing all of your activities with these people. I can't tell you how fascinating and eye-opening and welcoming the conversations I got to have with some of the folks on this trip. Conversations that I would have never had with people in Menlo Park because these people are living very different lives. And I think the more opportunity we have to spend time with people who might not exactly think exactly how we do gives you so much perspective and opens up your mind to new ways of thinking. I left that trip not totally in agreement with um, everything I heard from the river rafting folks, but man, we found so much common ground and so much joy with one another. So that's one thing. The other thing is I have a book that I think everybody should read, especially those of us in politics. It's called High Conflict. And this book really changed my life. You would think on a small city city council that the politics are really, you know, hunky-dory. But the same kind of tension and disagreements that we see everywhere, you know, play out locally. Um, and so there's times where you are feeling that in your core. And high conflict is really about um, being able to recognize good conflict, productive conflict, like tension that um, is healthy, and then kind of toxic conflict, conflict where you just can't let go of it, where it's very personal, where you're kind of almost invigorated by it because it's intoxicating and kind of revs you up. And so reading that book and learning when learning that I might not be able to control what other people are throwing at me, but I can control how I can react to it and kind of letting go of that um, has been very um, liberating for me and has had really enabled me to be able to stay in this job because in order to do the job that we do, you have to kind of keep some level of sanity or, or you wouldn't make it a year. I love the story of the river rafting. I'm glad you did that. I'm glad you told all of us to go sit down with somebody we don't necessarily agree with and just have a conversation. All right, Melissa, uh, I'm going to give you a choice of two questions. You can choose one of the two that you'd like to answer. First question is, <laughs> what would you like to see happen in Sausalito in the next one or two years that you're working on? Or the second question is, are you finding that the problems of San Francisco are spilling into your beautiful city? <laughs> Arguably the most beautiful city in, in California. You can which, which, yeah, which, I, which one? Okay. Well, I also just really want to commend what Jen had to say. I think it's so important to cross lines of difference and have uncomfortable conversations to learn anything about what's happening in our country right now and what's happening in our communities, because the city council can be just as heated as the board of supervisors or the president's cabinet or Congress. So that's important to keep in mind. Uh, some of the things that I'm working on in Sausalito right now that are really critical uh, and that I'm excited about. I'm, I'm hoping to get some grant funding for a community resilience center at our city hall and at all of our public buildings to put microgrids so in the event of a disaster we have a response. I'm working on a comprehensive smart cities approach as I talked about a back to basics for improving our, our roads and our structures using the technology we have available to us. Um, I'm working on a minority business grant program to promote equity in our community and provide pathways for the folks who haven't necessarily 
necessarily had those opportunities in Sausalito before. Um, but to answer your question about do the problems of Sausalito make their way into uh, or San Francisco make their way to Sausalito, we have no problem. No, um, no I, I, you know, I had the opportunity this year to attend the U.S. Conference of Mayors, which was a really incredible event for a number of reasons. But I think the most important takeaway from that and what I learned from talking with the mayors of, you know, Kansas City, St. Louis, Bend, Oregon, um, Lincoln, Nebraska, who used to work for Mayor Lee Brown. I don't know if you know Lirian, but she's now the mayor of Nebraska, uh, of Lincoln, Nebraska, is that no matter what community you're in, we're all dealing with the same challenges right now, right? We're all faced with the serious crisis of climate change. We're all trying to figure out how to deal with homelessness. We all need to build more housing. We all need more economic opportunity, and there's serious socioeconomic divides that we have to look at. So it doesn't really matter if San Francisco's experiencing a homelessness crisis or if San Francisco's experiencing a housing crisis. Sausalito will, at the same time, undoubtedly be also facing a homelessness crisis or a housing crisis, and that's why we really need to lean on each other and take best practices from each community. So I love seeing Jen come up with an exciting idea that I can steal and borrow in Sausalito. I love hearing that Asha is going to buy 80 mattresses from Mancini's. I hope I get a discount and I can bring some of those supportive beds back to, to Sausalito. So, you know, we're all, we're all challenged with the problems of the world at the micro level and the global level and the national level. And we just need to step up and learn from each other, whether it's from all of us sitting here or from our community members who have great ideas that we might not have considered about how we can look at some of our world's most pressing problems. And I think in Silicon Valley, it's really important to point out and remind folks that I think that the purpose of business right now, it's not just about making profit anymore. It's really about solving problems. So we really need all of you, when you're thinking about your business plan or how you're going to get your angel investment, you know, what's the impact you want to have? And we're here to help you work towards solving those problems at the government level. I have this question for us, so we're going to open it up. So recently, uh, Westfield Mall pulled Why up. is Asha getting all the tough questions? Because, you know, he, here's the problem. San Francisco is in the national news every single day. And, and we, you know who, who gets asked what's wrong with San Francisco? We do, all of us. All of our friends from all around the country are like, what's wrong? What's wrong with your... So we actually have somebody that we can point your finger to, right? I mean, it's not, he's not the mayor, but he is a supervisor. Not yet, not yet. Not yet, not yet. So listen, uh, Westfield Mall defaulted. They said, hey, we're leaving Nordstrom. And now you've got this big, empty mall. And the mayor wants to knock it down and build a soccer stadium. What are your thoughts on that? And, and potentially Salesforce pulling out, too. No, we no Salesforce will be there. No, they're, they're no. Gonna, I talked to them. They're Dreamforce. they're going to be there. They're, they're Dreamforce. Gonna Dreamforce. They're moving their Dreamforce. But, he's right though. He's yeah. right. They're moving. Be- Benioff their is he's upset. Yeah. No, I I get it. I get it. I mean, listen. Well, first, I'm not I'm not going to deal with the Salesforce uh, question. Uh, first, I'll deal with the you know the the Westfield. So I am a city planner by training. Um, I think the proposal or the conversation about a soccer stadium is misguided, um, short-sighted. And actually, if you know the history of San Francisco, where our Historic Preservation Commission began, it began with preserving the atrium in the Westfield Mall. So there's, there's really no chance of tearing down that building. Uh, so it's, it's really a false proposal. But coming back to the proposal that we had, that, that I talked about, that we ta- introduced yesterday, a special use district to create research living 
institute educational space. I mean, that would be a phenomenal laboratory educational environment just to open layout. Um, again, I think it would be a, a phenomenal addition to the downtown core, and it would be something. I mean, even if Deutsche Bank and Deutsche Bank is the owner of the, it's no longer Westfield. They 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 handed it back to the bank. If we were to going back to the Phoenix model. Um, we're looking for an opportunity, and we will look for an opportunity for having a city-owned or a donated piece of land that we can then RFP off to universities, have them come in and give us the best proposal. Right around the corner is University of the Pacific, one of the best dent dental institutions in the city. They're looking to expand. We're talking to the University of San Francisco. They're looking to, they have a campus on the other side of town, but they're, they're excited about the opportunity. There's a lot of infrastructure. So that's how I would approach that. I mean, we have other areas in the city that would be more suitable to a soccer stadium. Like and, the Excelsior? Yeah, I mean, actually, we do. <laughs> we, we have Boxer Stadium, which is right in Balboa Park, which is, it, it actually is something that has been talked about as one that could be renovated when, um, when the World Cup comes. I mean, is that size of a stadium. Um, but, but that's not the point. The point is, how are you going to revitalize the downtown? How are you going to bring back the confidence? How are you going to make sure that a Salesforce and a Meta and all the other companies that are there keep the footprint that they have and stay? Um, and so Dreamforce is starting in a week. Um, we did talk with them. We're committed to making sure that it's safe and clean and that we're dealing with this crisis. And I think that was the frustration of Benioff. Just in case anyone doesn't know, he was the ringleader of Proposition C. Proposition C was a tax that companies had over certain gross receipts, and that, that tax would then be taken and put back into specifically homeless services. So he has the position and the authority as having been someone that led the conversation for this tax, much to the chagrin of many other companies because they don't have the revenue, they don't have the tax base like a sales force to say, we can afford to pay this tax. And so it has been an impediment for some companies that want to remain and grow and stay and thrive in San Francisco. So it is something that we're going to have to look at as a way to adjust there's about five or six of the companies, his, his is one, that pays the vast majority of that tax, and it's a couple hundred million dollars a year that goes back into homeless services. So with the Westfield, I would think of a vision that was more of a, a, of a real use, like an educational institutional use. I think that would be a successful uh, plan. Um, All right, listen, we're going to open it up because I don't want us to be the only go. ones asking questions. So you can ask the hard-hitting questions. All we ask is that you be kind, you know, especially to the mayor of Menlo Park because this is my city. I live in Menlo Park. I'm very protective over her. All right, do we have an extra mic or no? Is this it? All right, here, you can have my mic. Oh, yeah. Uh, Woo! My, since I was 12 or 11 in Massachusetts, you know. Um, and <laughs> well, great college. I always noticed that great colleges always had a great sports program. And you directly led that into the city. Second one was I feel like SF has an identity crisis right now. And what are we, liberal? What are we conservative? You don't have to get political about that, but that's a question that I would love to all of you. And then. Have to go, I don't think, too far 
see what you, everybody knows, everybody's face, right? It's a ripple effect there that I noticed. Uh, if there's if there's merit to that, or I'm crazy. Right? Yeah. So, so what's exactly is the question? <laughs> <laughs> the question is: Is there a way to do that in America? Is there a way to change the community how, how zoning laws fundamentally? How, how can we recreate that? Would you say? So, um, so just just so I think the general underlying question is about land use uh, zoning, yeah. right? And so, one of the things that can be an impediment for uses, and that's what the proposal I have, just to get a little deeper in about attracting universities into downtown. If you have an office building that's zoned for office, you would have to go through a change of use and change the zoning under that. Our special use would allow for the change of use and multiple uses for institutional uses, so it kind of clears the way and facilitates that. That's, that's the underlying principle. Um, your, your, your sports team question, I'm still burning over the fact that the Niners left San Francisco. I think it was one of the worst mistakes, not, you know, not to get into the Santa Clara thing. We gave away a major home field advantage. Uh, you saw it the other day. I was at the preseason game against the Broncos. There was a bit of a wind. The field goal kicker was missing the extra points. And, but, 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 I heard you say, you're like, this might be concern for the year, right? So, but a candlestick, I mean, that was serious. Like, the win was no joke, right? So bringing a home field football team back one day would be a great thing. I'll, I'll hand it over to the team. We got another question. Well, I have no thoughts on football. Um, but I do have thoughts on zoning. Um, so... Um, this colleague over here was talking about how San Francisco is a strong mayor form of government. The other form of government that our smaller cities have is called a council um, city manager form of government, which means that the city council, which includes the mayor, um, acts more like a board of directors setting policy, and the city manager is like the CEO of the city, and he's the one who hires the police chief and all of the other employees and deals with the day-to-day -day operations. So it's a very different uh, form of government. The biggest tool that the city council has at their disposal to, to enact change in the city is through zoning and through land use. So we have a downtown in Menlo Park that we actually had a study session for a few weeks ago specifically around zoning. One of the biggest complaints I hear from residents is about our downtown um, and wanting to revitalize it, have more fun, more restaurants, more things to do. And so the greatest tool that we have is through zoning. And absolutely mixed use, or sometimes it's called infill zoning, um, is a huge tool that um, our city is looking at to enable this walkability this ability so that regardless of kind of what neighborhood you live in, you have access to an ice cream cone or be able to go and get a thing of milk or maybe a cup of coffee at a cafe, um, have childcare nearby, have an ability to have a job for your teenager nearby without having to get in your car and drive. And then we have the parking issues and whatnot. San Francisco's already like that. So cities like Menlo Park, I can't speak to Salsalita. My guess is 
there, maybe not quite there yet. Um, I don't know, just by looking at her. But especially along our transit quarters, along El Camino Real, in our downtown core, along Middlefield, we are looking at doing this mixed-use zoning. So to potentially have like a first-floor retail, maybe an, a floor of office or so, and then housing above to create that more walkable, livable community. And I believe most cities along the peninsula, we might be more ahead of others doing this, but that's definitely the model that I'm working towards as a city council member with land use. So my mom will kill me if I don't get excited that Greg Papa's here. I can't wait to call her after this. We are a long-time Niners fan family. Uh, and, and, um, uh, d- but on the, um, on the zoning issue, so last year, Sausalito actually had the opportunity to be selected as the city chosen for the Golden Shovel. And I went to UC Berkeley, as did my friend Kabir, who's in the back. Go Bears. Uh, you're not supposed to say that. You're in Menlo Park. I know. Uh, <laughs> so the Golden Shovel is... Is a, a, a competition between UC Berkeley and Stanford where their best urban planners from their um, business schools are given a plot of land within a town. So in our town, we did the Caledonia Corridor, which is sort of like the residential downtown that tourists don't know about that we like to keep for ourselves, which is kind of necessary given our downtown on the weekends, but it has a lot of opportunity. So we allowed these students to come up with, what does your vision for zoning look like here. You can put whatever you want. You can put housing, you can put mixed use, you can change our downtown to a, a, cent- a separate you know, city hall. And the plans that came back were amazing. I mean, I was so excited about the golden shovel. Both entrants were great. Obviously, the Bears won because, of course, Cal had to win. I wasn't a judge, though, to be fair. Um, but the thing is, we had these great plans and these great ideas, and you talk about Munich, and, and I agree, I traveled to Europe, and I've seen the different zoning laws for housing and commercial, uh, and the reality is the same zoning issues that I talked about when I talked about housing and the way our communities are built are intentional, and they're going to take a really long time to dig into and change. So I would say I love your ideas. It's an uphill battle, a battle that I'm in, and I'm in it for the right reasons. I think we need more opportunity housing. I think we need more vibrant communities. We have a industrial working waterfront in Sausalito. We have one of the last working waterfronts actually in the Bay Area and on the West Coast, which we're very proud of and we want to protect. At the same time, we have sea level rise. We have buildings that are dilapidated. We need industry and we need development to keep the working waterfront alive. So why can't we do something like Winwood Walls in Miami and bring a bunch of muralists in to decorate the industrial buildings and then have mixed use and then have housing. So there's all these exciting ideas, but there's also the reality of working our way through those zoning laws to come up with the best path forward. I will say that the state mandates around housing are changing the discussions and speeding them up. Whatever side of the housing conversation you fall down on, the reality is for us at the city council level or the supervisor level, our situation is different. So things are getting fast-tracked, but it's not as easy as just saying, I'd like to put a bakery in this building that I bought. So it, it's going to be it's going to be a long time and we're going to need all of your impact and your uh, ideas for visions for what you want your communities to look like. Great. We have another question. Yeah. Hi. Uh, fantastic. Uh, of course, it's not focusing on the negatives. You're all pretty well aware of what you're working on. Uh, my question to you is like as someone leading on the policy side and also the governance side What's your next black swan event you're planning for? That I think that's really important, not a pandemic. Because I think the automation is the biggest black swan. Climate refugees is the biggest black swan. Immigration, I mean, migration, because of a variety of reasons. They're really big, means we're no longer living in a static cities. They're transient. 
I mean, I'm there three months, three months, three months. It doesn't matter where I live. So we have bigger footprint of, you know, being a resident or a citizen because we're no longer tied to one physical geography. How do you address that? Because without industry, what keeps you up at night that this doesn't become the Detroit and the collapse of automobile industry and then the music industry? That's beginning to happen because AI, automation, tech, bio, bio, it's changing everything and that's happening in the next five years. So how are you even thinking about planning or addressing or governing structures that would enable the benefit of that and not be at the end of receiving on the negative side of it. Let's have Asha answer that first. <laughs> I, I think it's a great question. No, no, I, I, I have a little background. It's getting real over here. I, I, I like to stand. Um, I, I think that I think it actually hits at home one of the things that we've been addressing a lot while I've been on the campaign trail and even being in, you know, in the current supervisor seat. San Francisco has always been, in many ways, a tale of two cities, right? We have some of the wealthiest city, uh, wealthiest residents in the world living there, and we also have some of the most, you know, ch economically challenged individuals living there. It's really, really, and, and then our school system reflects that, the private, the parochial, and here we are now where we're, we are at ground zero for AI, and AI is, you know, AI is right here. It's in this phone, it's in that camera, it's, in the, it, it's everywhere. And how do we harness that? But how do we harness it in a responsible way? Because San Francisco is also a city of working people. The labor movement began in San Francisco in many, many ways, and the history is ingrained in it. And so if you want to have a thriving and a well-flourishing city, you have to have one that thinks about harnessing the ingenuity and the creativity, but also providing a space for working people and working families to thrive in so you have a well-balanced city. You have middle class, you have working families, and you have everyone thriving within the same city. And that is the challenge right now in San Francisco. AI is about to explode, and it is exploding. So how do you embrace that while at the same time not putting every single person out of work that needs a job that can continue to thrive and contribute to your city? And so that's the challenge that we're facing, and that's something that we're, heading, we're, we're um, dealing with it head on. And I think the responsible companies will be ones that say, we want to be responsible about this, put some parameters around it, and at the same time, make good money and create opportunities for everyone. I can respond to the AI question. I'm totally happy to go down that road. I, I, uh, in my day job, because as mayor of small communities, you only make $300 a month, so you have to take on another role. Uh, I, <laughs> you can't live on that in the Bay Area, as hard as you might try. I make $600. Oh, wow. Big money, Jen. Big money. Uh, in my in my day job, I, I work in um, advocacy for startups, and we work a lot on digital technology laws and policy. And AI is at top of mind. And I would and I would push back on on the idea that you know you mentioned some of the biggest issues that keep us up at night, right? I'm I'm deeply concerned about climate change. I'm deeply concerned that at any moment sea level rise will completely change the landscape of our community. I serve on the Climate Migration Council, um, and we talk all the time about what the impact of that will be. Well. 
I'm a believer in technology for good. I know it's scary, right? But it's here. And as I said earlier, the purpose of business is about solving problems now. So I think what really makes sense is for us to have a lot of informed conversations with these businesses who are talking about and using AI to help us solve these problems that are keeping us up at night, right? How can we use AI to think about how we solve sea level rise? How can we use AI to plan for and prepare for climate migration challenges? So yes, there is a very dark, scary side to this in terms of what our labor workforce looks like. But at the same time, there are some jobs that can't be replaced, and we need big picture thinkers to be willing to use and harness AI to help us figure out and solve some of our biggest and scariest issues, because I really do believe in technology for good. I have not given up on that entirely. So I recently had a friend visit from um, out of the country, and he wanted to know, why does everyone live in the Bay Area? It's so expensive. I get the weather, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know, I kind of explained that the original migration was education, that we had these massive institutions that educated people to the highest degree, and then they stayed around, and they created these incredible companies. And then you look at what's happening around the country with education, and I'm wondering, each of you has... Um, seeing what's happened in local school districts, not only here, but obviously in places like Florida, and how are you working to protect um, the future education of our children in these areas? Thank you. That's a great question. We, you know, I, I have uh, two children myself, 11 and a 13-year-old, and, and they both went to uh, Daniel Webster in San Francisco. It's a great Spanish immersion public school. Um, but one of the things you see right off the bat is our school did a thing called Taste of Potrero. And it was, we got all of the restaurants from all over San Francisco, chefs and everyone, and it was a major fundraiser for the, for the school. People, it got so popular, people didn't even realize it was put on by the PTA. <laughs> they didn't even associate it with the school anymore. But our school had about four or $500,000, probably about 400000 The school around the corner from my house had a $10,000 budget. And so when you're talking about math literacy, English literacy, in-school support, after-school support, the, 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 in, the imbalance played itself out in how resourced and motivated many of the parents were. So we did an initiative last year. In fact, I think for all my time on the Board of Supervisors, if I don't do anything else, I feel like this will have the most impact for families and generations to come. Because what we did is we did a budget set aside, and we worked with organized labor, we worked with the school district, we worked with the um, individuals that would be directly impacted, DCYF, to make sure it would be administered by a separate department, not just the school district. And baseline, what it creates is $20 million in the first year. It grows to $60 million when it's fully funded. Each school now, that particularly schools that are underperforming and the ones that have the biggest achievement gap, will be able to apply for up to a million dollars per school. And so when we had, like, Michael Moritz and Crank Start, they give millions of dollars to San Francisco. God bless him and his company. We had many people come in. But the funding stops at some point. And you build all this infrastructure. You have all this momentum. You have all this. And then it, it goes away because it's, it's not ongoing funding. So this was a way to build off of the success that was created in school, after school, summer, and create a whole school model. And so now I feel like that is going to be something that will have a significant impact. If that's the schools that you were talking about, and I think you were talking about K through 12, 
this will have a significant impact, particularly for the families that have been hardest hit by COVID and have had even a larger achievement gap going. So I'm very proud of that. Just a footnote, Mayor Bree did not support it. We got 11 members of the board to come together and support that. We put it on the ballot last fall. 78% of the voters voted for it, and it's just beginning to take hold right now. So somebody who doesn't want to be named has a question, and they're asking, what exactly will you do, and this is for everybody on the board, what will you do to make sure that the taxpayers paying the largest amount of the budget, I'm going to assume that means the rich, um, feel supported um, so that they can continue to operate businesses within your respective municipalities? while balancing that, of course, with the needs of people at the lower end of the economic spectrum. That's a tough one. I just took the last one. I feel like I'm happy to answer the question. How are you going to support the rich? That's a question I don't get asked very often. I'm trying to understand. It's more about the taxes. Yeah, I, I think Menlo Park, I think the peninsula, the Bay Area in general, is, is the best place in the world. I, I just think there's no place like it. In, in, whether it's the weather, whether it's the people, the finger. I put my finger on it. Okay, she's clapping. Um, I, I just think that there's no place with this type of talent, with this type of engagement, with this level of innovation. Um, so I think we deliver to companies the most um, highly motivated, intelligent, um, groundbreaking workforce in the world. Um, and I think that's what, what we have to offer. And I, I think of it more as how do we all um, rise up together, like a, a, lifting, a lifting tide rises all boats. And so when we ensure that um, everyone in the community is benefiting from the successes of, of the tech sector or whatever sector um, is thriving in our community, I think we're all going to benefit from um, all of the um, beautiful things that, that come with that. So I don't know if I'm answering exactly the, the question, but I, I don't think you're going to get... when when I know the jobs housing um, imbalance is, is something that gets brought up a lot. And I've heard from folks who have a solution to the jobs housing imbalance, which is to move the jobs away from here. And if we just move the jobs away from here, maybe to Modesto or maybe to Texas or maybe to Kentucky or whatever, that's the solution because there's lots of space over there and we can recreate technology over there. And I just don't see that as, as a workable solution. I don't see that as an equitable solution. I also think with um, climate change rising and where, we have, where we're seeing the worst impacts and moving that problem over there isn't a solution. So I think we all need to work together, but there's plenty of resources to go around so we can all win together. All right, Mel Melissa's going to answer this, but uh, we're going to have time for two more questions, and then the, the mayors and the supervisor will be available. You can talk to them one-on-one -on -one when we're done, okay? 
Okay, but we don't want to keep you here all night. Go ahead, Melissa. I don't want to take too much time because I want to be able to have as many questions as we can. But what I will say is when you look at our revenues as a city and where we are able to fund our budget, like more than half of it comes from our business community. More than half of our general fund comes from our business community. And we actually can't provide any services to folks who are lower tax paying if we don't allow larger businesses as well to thrive. So if we don't have policies that are supporting both our businesses that we absolutely need to stay in our community, then we can't give services to anyone, period. So I think you need to be able to understand the needs of those businesses so that you can keep them in your town. And if that means occasionally working with them on a tax deal that makes sense, that will still allow priority so that then you can fund the, the mattresses that you need from Mancini's for your beds, for your supportive housing. I, I love those mattresses. I'm going to use that. Uh, and um, yeah. But uh, um, it's, it's a balance. And the thing is, as an elected official, you're serving every person in your community, whether they're paying the most in taxes or the least in taxes. And it's always going to be a challenge, but you have to find something that will balance all of that out. Okay. Um, we're going to do if, – if we do four questions, you guys have to be really short with your answers. You have to be very short with your questions. I mean, the questions have to be short, too. Yeah, yeah. Give us short – are you sure? Yeah, a lot of – All right, go ahead, Miss. Okay, in the city you had um, Westfield leave, you had Nordstrom leave, but Ikea showed up. Ikea showed up. I don't know if they missed the memo about getting out of the city, but they showed up, and I just see a good opportunity with all the... To go... That was... You stole my joke. Why don't you don't even have the vet microphone? Stole my joke right out of my mouth. I think I see it as an opportunity to um, build the affordable yet stylish furniture to go with your mattresses for the housing. I see, I see, just see some, some coordination there. Anyway. I think she's just giving you a compliment. Yeah. That wasn't even Anyways. a question. So it's, okay, yeah, it was. Was it? <laughs> it was about Ikea. All right, let's go to the next question. That, you're right. No, but, but Ikea, uh, Ikea has had it w and will have a real opportunity to help to jumpstart and bring confidence back to that part of town. And we want to do everything we can to embrace it, encourage it, and, and protect it. Thank you. All right. Uh, Miss? I was just wondering, how do you keep people who are transit engaged in the community to maybe make them want to stay? Like, how do you kind of, like, pull them in and, like, you know, just say, like, you know, we are the city you want to stay in and raise your kids and give back and things like that, you know, because not leave in two years because somewhere else is a little cheaper. You can buy the bigger house, you know, and reel them in. Yeah, um, I think people want to be here. I think they just can't afford to be here. So for me, I see young people just really struggling with the ability to put down roots here. So for me, it's creating opportunity and, and, and adding more housing so that um, because right now we have such a, a constraint on supply. So if we start adding supply to the market, then people can move right size. Like we have a lot of um, people living in giant homes that might be um, people who've lost their spouse and they're much older, but they don't want to, they don't want to downsize because there's nowhere for them to go. Um, so they're, I mean, that might be up prop 13 and everything, but I think we just need to provide more opportunity. All right, here you go. Thank you. Um, this question goes to the uh, prospective mayor of San Francisco and Menlo Park. Um, so I had the opportunity to visit both um, the fire stations in East Palo You have beautiful, beautiful fire stations. Um, but one thing I noticed, as you're mentioning, is the affordability. Uh, all firefighters lived outside of the city. 
Uh, some lived in Sacramento, some lived in Lathrop, and a handful lived in San Mateo. Uh, and someone who's uh, coached at Metal Atherton for 12 years, all the teachers uh, are not from this area. In San Francisco, on the other hand, uh, having an opportunity to, uh, to coach over at the Archdiocese in Reardon, many of the um, teachers there do live in the city, and there's a stronger community there of, of although these, these, these schools are actually very poor despite their funding privately, um, there's a strong community to support a lot of the um, programs, after-school programs by the community. So on one hand, you have, in Melo Park, um, transient, not transient, but uh, commuter um, uh, civil workers, in San Francisco, you have those in the community. I'd love to hear the uh, the benefits of both and the challenges you face with that, because there's obviously some pluses: the lower cost of labor being one, and um, the, obviously the impassionate workers who get to be in your cities. But it's it's a kind of a juxtaposition between the two because of the the challenges you both face, but also you have the community and you kind of don't. Thank you. Yeah. I'll yeah, just, can you do it short? I can make it really short. All right, great. It's, I really think it's it's dangerous that we do not have enough places for our first responders to live. If we have a massive earthquake or a massive flooding or a massive catastrophic of event and we have to rely on people commuting from Sacramento to come save us, it's not going to happen. So this is where we need to add housing. We also need to work, focus on community resiliency, on getting to know our neighbors better and coming up with our own emergency emergency preparedness plans, and um, really looking to add um, housing in our communities to have people of all kinds of jobs live here. Perfect. All goes back to housing. That was great. Short and sweet. Yes. So so thank you. Um, Since I got on the board, as I said, I did some time working with organized labor. I've been the strongest proponent of building all different levels of housing. Um, We've done 600 units in my district, 40% of them have been affordable, and we've directed it toward working families. We've done specific legislation in the city to create housing and attract housing for teachers specifically. And we've done some, in some of our bonds, we've done down payment assistance programs for first responders. So we still have a housing crisis, um, and housing, besides the other issues that we talked about, is an extremely important issue in San Francisco and all over the Bay Area. Um, but we have to approach it in a way where we're cre- creating more volume and also facilitating and streamlining the process. So we did some streamlining legislation. We need to do more, and we need to make it easier to build in the city at all levels. All right. Our final question is Joe from NASA. <laughs> Take us out on a high note, Joe. <laughs> Absolutely. First of all, I want to say thank you for stepping up and taking the leadership roles that you have. These are very hard problems, obviously. But there's two things. One, um, if you could solve the problems without the constraints that you currently have, like what incentives would you give for investment in your cities? And what programs would you, if you basically had all the resources you could to solve these problems? Okay, if we could do whatever we want, which is, uh, uh, let's go back to the metaverse where Jen was in, in repeat, the Spider-Verse, where this is available. I, Sausalito has the uh, 
the joy of being a waterfront community, which makes us unique in that we are susceptible to sea level rise, but we're also an opportunity for an innovation hub. I would love to see us be the center of the blue economy for the Bay Area. And I believe that we actually can do that. We've started a nonprofit called Sea Futures, which is focused on this. We're applying for grants. We're trying to partner with the Port of San Francisco and other neighboring ports. Um, what we can do now, even with or without problems, is to start pilot programs to say to these companies that have you know wind turbines on the water, hey, come test it in Sausalito. You can do it for free. Um, for you know, I've been talking to Navier, which is this amazing flying solar boat that you should all check out if you haven't seen. It, yeah, Sam Preeti. Yeah. She's the most incredible CEO, total badass. Uh, and, and that, I'm trying to get the NASA intern, Sam Preeti. And MIT. I hope you're watching this, Sam Preeti. I'm going to send it to you. Uh, and she's, she's phenomenal. But that getting that, getting those flying boats in Sausalito, why not just dream big, invite every company to try every waterfront technology they want and start creating and changing things? Housing included, waterfront housing, houseboats, everything. That's great. Did you, uh, Jen? Did oh, you my, my dream. Um, we would reactivate the Dumbarton Bridge for uh, transit so we could get people over here without having to drive in their cars. We have Caltrain that's going to be electrified. It's going to be bringing more cars, but we need to put bus rapid transit down El Camino so people can choose to go faster without getting in their cars. Um, we need to create that mixed use uh, land use about the question we had so people can enjoy their communities and walk and bike and get to know their neighbors. Um, and and so I don't see why we can't do it. It doesn't have to be a fantasy. We can do this. All right, Asha, take us out. <laughs> so if we had unlimited resources? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> already, right? We already $14.3 But I guess if we had more money, I, 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 I would absolutely underground more of the uh, uh, public transportation system in the city. Um, we made some mistakes over the last 40, 50 years, whether it was BART, whether it was Muni. So I would be tunneling the entire city to have stops all over uh, San Francisco. That, I think that would encourage more people to take public transportation. It would deal with climate change. It would also deal with congestion. And I think it would make for a more livable city. I would submerge uh, 80, which goes right through San Francisco. We did that. As I said, I, I went to MIT my professor was the crazy uh, guy that came up with the idea to underground the central uh, connecting freeway, um, and it has absolutely helped to re, you know, revitalize uh, and, and reimagine Boston. So I would do that in San Francisco. I would submerge the entire uh, freeway there and open up uh, much more of San Francisco in that way. And then, of course... Um, I would have the, the right level of housing for working families and for those that are struggling living on the streets uh, that we could get them off the streets quickly. Um, and so those would be my three major ideas. For also, you, you mentioned tunneling. Uh, Troy Helming, the CEO of EarthGrid, is a brilliant guy. In fact, he was on Zombies, I think, four or five months ago. Really cool technology. So I, I got a tunneling guy for you if, if you need. I, I mean, I mean when, when, I, when, I was a, when I was a small business consultant for, for some time, one of my clients was Jacob Engineering. We did a project in San Francisco. It was a sewer project. I got to walk the tunnel. I mean, it was phenomenal. They brought in the drills. They, they connected water flow to the southeast part of the city, and it puts people to work, and it was amazing. We should be undergrounding right now all over the city for transportation. That Beautiful. would be Well, Asha, Jen, Melissa, thank you so much. It's been such a great opportunity to meet the mayors. Thank you. Thank you.
And thank you, everybody here. Be sure to check out SiliconZombies.com. And also, we'll be back here October 12th and November 16th with more of the best brands from the Bay to Beyond. Thank you so much, everybody. Enjoy. Thank you. Hey, everyone, real quickly, um, on September 19th, we're going to have a Stanford professor talking about your story and your brand. If you'd like an invite to that, come find me, and I'll send you that invite. All right, thank you, everybody. And the mayors are available. Come talk to them. Without you